One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. You're listening to the Irish Times Women's Podcast. I'm Cathy Sheridan, and I have the inestimable. Roisin Ingle here sitting across the table from me. Uh, Roisin, what's going on in your head? Well, it's just Christmas, isn't it, Kathy? Yeah. Christmas is coming. The goose is getting fat. Please put a penny in the old man's hat. Sorry, that's just come from my childhood somewhere. That's a rhyme we used to yeah. say. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's a bit stressful, isn't it? Like, because you're trying to do... I mean, this is where you look back at the halcyon days, maybe when maybe it was a good thing just only to be... Not only because it was a big job, working in the home, having all that stuff to do that was your job, working in the home, minding the children doing all the presents, getting everything ready, you know, that was lovely if that's all you have to do. Yeah. Nowadays, a lot of people have that all to do and also their full-time very busy job and at Christmas time, as we all know, jobs are very, very busy and people are doing all that Christmas stuff on top and who is doing it? We have to admit and acknowledge that for a lot of the parts, not all men, hashtag all that, but a lot of the time it's women that are making Christmas happen in houses all over this country and all over the world, really. What is it, Roshan? Is it only women who can see what needs to be done? Well, it's like my dad. My mum always tells this story about my dad coming in, coming home from the pub, probably, on Christmas Eve and the house was spotless and there was Christmas presents under the tree. The pudding was on the table, the, the fixings for the Christmas dinner. It was this beautiful domestic scene and the smells and sights and sounds. And he said to my mum, Wow, does this happen every year? Basically, he was just going, like, he was amazed that this had happened and had no insight into how it had happened. Into the labour Because involved. he had no, yeah, because he had no part in it. And he kind of thought it was okay to waltz in and express, oh, this is, oh, look at this. This happens. Does this happen every year? How does this happen? My memory My mother's actually, sitting there raw to the bone, like, exhausted. My memories of office life, Roisin, say, 20 years ago is of coming everybody running off to lunch and the women coming back red faced laden down with bags and parcels not the men no the men actually probably wouldn't come back at all (laughs) because they were elsewhere playing golf or drinking hot toddies or something I mean I hoped in my in my dotage that things had improved a lot no, so the word is emotional labour. So it's who writes the Christmas cards in people's houses. That's a really key one. Who is the person that sits down? Because that's cause I actually like that job because it kind of makes you sit down and think, okay, who do I want to, what message do I want to give? But who does it? Most of the time it is women. And we put out a call on the on irishtimes.com. We asked who makes Christmas happen in your house. And I think the most telling thing about that call out was that um, only women responded, first of all. There was no men responding. And, you know, one of the women just said, she started by saying, I'm just, I'm exhausted. I'm utterly exhausted. Another woman said that every Christmas Eve, she sits in the car on the way to visit her in-laws and her husband says, what did we get my mother this year? And that's that's an annual thing. What did we get my mother? Yeah. Do you think so, that Santa brings it? I, I don't know. It's like my dad sort of just thought, oh, look, this is great. How did this happen? Um, now, I think there's loads of men out there and probably maybe hopefully some of them listening that do a lot. Um, my own partner is, you know, last night was up for ages wrapping presents and is out today scouring around for things that we haven't got yet. So I'm not suggesting in any way that men aren't involved in Christmas. But I think that the... Truth is that for the most part, it wouldn't happen the way it happens and the way it's made magic for children necessarily without um, a lot of women. And I think 
It's a lot of pressure, but I think it's a lot of pressure anyway, but especially if you have another job on top of it, as well as the job of Christmas, because Christmas is a job. Actually, a, a, a statistic that jumped out at me, Roisin, was the UK Office for National Statistics, which is very credible, very respectable, has found that women in Britain do 40% more housework and childcare than men. So if that's the case, imagine the additional emotional labour, which I think is where that term comes mm. from, around events like Christmas. Uh, I mean, are you exhausted now? Yeah, like I say, I have a very helpful, supportive partner, but I am wrecked, but it's more of the, the work aspect I'm wrecked from because I, I just feel I haven't had the headspace that I would like to have to sort of imagine Christmas because Christmas takes not just the physical labour or the wrapping, it takes a bit of sparkle, it takes you thinking outside the box, sorry to pun you, but, you know, it takes that imagination and I just feel I haven't had the headspace to do that. I've had to put all my headspace into making sure everything's done for work. And now I just feel like a bit like, oh, God, oh, God, am I going to get it done? Is it going to be magical? And I think that's the qu- the pressure. And women seem to feel that pressure more. I can't bear the thought that my children will have a Christmas that there won't be something that they'll kind of get some amazing memories from. And I feel that responsibility very heavily weighs on my shoulders. I don't know. I'm just speaking for myself. But I think that's what a lot of other women feel as well. OK, so... Do you feel that? Absolutely. Uh, but I also did have a supportive partner and he was he was he was around. And if I said, make up that spare bed, he'd go and make up the spare yeah, bed. Exactly. But in the end, when I think about it, it did come down to to I had responsibility for thinking about the spare bed, for example, which I would definitely call emotional labour. And they, they used to make me mad. But Roshan, you were saying earlier that you intend to do it differently next year. Now, because we're, we're, we're about here is well, making life better. Well, I do think I better. have to take some responsibility as well because I am a bit of a last minute merchant generally. Like that's kind of how I roll. So fair enough. I mean, if I was doing it differently next year, I would just be starting a little bit earlier with thinking. Like not leaving all the thinking to the time when I don't have any time to think. That's a bit silly, isn't it? Like, And always Christmas, as you know, in newspapers is always busy because you're planning everything into January. So you've got this mountain, a mountain of work to do that's bigger than any other time of the year. Listen, so you have no sense. idea what journalists have to do and we don't get half <laughs> enough tiny appreciation for I it. I want you to listen very carefully to Roisin because that is true. <laughs> December is notoriously frenetic in newspapers and there used to be a time when you get loads of weeks off, you get time off, that was the payback doesn't really happen anymore. No, but we'll move on from that. Anyway, we'll the on. thing is, yeah, Christmas yeah. will happen. It just, I hope it's good. I'm sure it will be. And like, you know what? It's all very well. I'm giving out about all this stuff. There's, there's kids in hotel rooms having Christmas, you know. There's, there's kids around this country and families that are really, really struggling. And I think that's where you, your heart would really kind of break um, at this time of year as well. So I think it's about getting a bit of perspective okay. uh, for me as well. All right. And let's try and be merry. Yeah. Because... Um, we're going to talk about Michelle Obama again. again. <laughs> oh God, it looks like the women's podcast has now got like a, a fetish for Michelle Obama. But well, anyway. I think you have. <laughs> I you think you have as well, Kathy. I do not. Although <laughs> yeah, I did quote right. her in a column this week. Yeah, there you go. You see, it's catching. Yeah, I'm afraid it is. You reconvened yes, our women's reconvened. podcast book club recently to give her memoir, Becoming the Once Over, with the help of Irish Times journalist Bernice Harrison and Neve Towie. And of course, your wonderful mother, and an author in her own right. That's right. Driven is her book. It's make a very good Christmas present if anyone's looking for last minute ideas. Don't forget, Anne Ingle, Driven. Yeah, so you tell me, what can we expect in today's episode? So we're going to be talking about Michelle's book, Becoming, I call her Michelle now since I saw her oh, twice. And best friend. Michelle Obama's book, Becoming. And like, I don't think I'm giving any spoilers to say that it's a very positive review. Let's just put it like that. <laughs> 
<laughs> I am I astounded. Mean, the thing is, you know, I think we are a good book club in that we do disagree and there are people sometimes who even though everyone else is very effusive about a book will come in and say, didn't like it. And that's really good. But as you will hear, it didn't really happen. And I do think this book is a great present for a lot of people, very different ages. Bernice mentions that in, in the podcast that I think she's brought it for her daughter and her mother. And that's a big breadth of age difference. So if you're looking for a little, OK, somebody likes reading is a woman of any age. I think you can't go wrong with this book. There is a tip and it's, it's, it's a lovely, thick book. It yeah. looks very respectable as a present. I'm really looking forward to this, Roshi. Bernice Harrison, I'm going to start with you. What did you make of this memoir by the former First Lady Michelle Obama? Okay, well, first off, I'm going to say what I think I've probably said at every single one of our book clubs, but it goes to the whole point of a book club. I would not have read this book (laughs) unless it was for this book club because I feel quite allergic to celebrity memoirs. And, you know, whatever else she is, Michelle Obama is a celebrity, like she is. Um, and these glossy celebrity memoirs, I never expect any truth from them. I never expect to get anything from them. And I, in fact, I would also have been put off by the hoopla surround- oh, uh, sorry. <laughs> surrounding the launch. You know, I, I kind of would have. So I would have felt, no, that is not for me. Before, I'm not buying into that. Before you tell us about what you thought about the book, after all that, you know, when you say hoopla, I mean, it was a very well orchestrated strategic oh, launch completely. in terms of the interviews that she did and the way Absolutely. the different parts of what she said were de- disseminated around the Absolutely. Place. I've even watched it on Ellen. I've watched her being interviewed by Ellen and all that. You know, I've, it's been, extra, been a juggernaut. But then she is something of a juggernaut in herself. She's fantastic. You come away from, first of all, it's a page turner. And I wouldn't have expected to say that, but it is an absolute page turner. It's a huge book, so it's daunting from that point of view, but it's a page turner. You fly through it. Um, second of all, I didn't expect to like her as much as I did at the end. She's fantastic. She, and, you know, you don't want, okay, I can, you can just sort of start gushing and never stop. But there are a lot of lessons in this book that you could take. And that, that I thought was fascinating. I thought the way she presented herself, you know, is really interesting. Because, of course, well, first of all, the first thing I did, obviously, I flashed through to see what is she going to dig, the, you know, dish the dirt on her first meeting with Melanie and all that. None of that. that. That's all very much towards the end. Most of the book is taken up with her becoming, be, be, with her sort of becoming herself. And she, that is sort of nearly, a, you, and this sounds just so American, but it does seem to me that that is a project that she is engaged with, becoming herself. Um, I thought the the bits in the White House flagged a little for me. I was not as interested in them as I was in her childhood, in her upbringing. Um, because, and I suppose they may be very like any other, this was my life in the, the White House thing. But she's fascinating. Bernice, going fascinating. back to, just before I move on to someone else and see if everyone feels the same way, oh. I'm kind of suspicious Expecting that people will, but it'll be interesting to see. Mm. Um, when you talk about the childhood things mm. and the fact that you weren't expecting it to be so fascinated, what was it particularly about her very working class childhood in on the south side of Chicago? Yeah. What was it about that that gripped you? And you said it's a page turner. So why were you so well? I think it was. Engaged? I think her mother 
emerges as a fascinating character, absolutely fascinating, and all the way along, right from when she went in, when, you know, Michelle was coming home and saying in second grade, which I think is about maybe, is that age seven or something, was coming home saying, you know, my teacher, the class isn't very good, it's very disruptive. Well, mom went in there and sorted that out now and got her moved to a different class. Now, what I learned from that is, you know, most kids looking back would go, oh, my God, I was so embarrassed. My mother went, no, absolutely not. She thought, no, this is what you do. If things aren't going right, you figure out how to make them go right. And so it was that. Now, she does kind of sketch over a little the actual mechanics of how she ended up going to these Ivy League universities. That is sort of kind of, I I wondered, there's hints that it was sort of an affirmative action programme. Um, but but what was interesting as well is that she she grew up in a family. Her dad was sick; uh, he had multiple cirrhosis. Um, but he he sort of just got on with it, really. Um, but he died very young uh, before she got to the White House. Um, and uh, she had a brother, and the parents treated the brother uh, the same. Uh, so the brother is as highly educated uh, as she was, um, which is an extraordinary a- achievement. Um, but uh, but sort of a, a lesson, well, you d- take away a number of lessons from the book, but a lesson that I think is very interesting and that, that emerged very early as she was growing up, the, 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 the sort of asking for help, asking for advice, looking for mentors throughout her life. You know, when she was, you know, deciding to chuck in her corporate job to be, to get involved in, in, in community affairs, she constantly looked for mentors, mm. constantly. Somebody who had been paved the way before her who could help her yeah. and advise her. Well, when I was in London listening to her talk... Really? Uh, I, a, how long have we been into as, it now? And you've just mentioned that she, now. She talked to a, a group of few hundred school children in, in a, a really interesting school called Elizabeth Gareth Anderson School, which is named for the first sur- female surgeon in Britain. And, and she said, um, she said, show me someone who knows more than me and they're going to become my best friend. And the first mm-hmm. thing she did when she went to the White House was she called up all the living first ladies and she got them in and she grilled them about what their experience had been. And I just, I think that sort of mm. says what you're saying that that absolute um, and I think you find that in a lot of successful people not not always thinking they know everything always wanting to ask um, for help mum what did you think of Michelle Obama's book you listened to it didn't you on an audio yeah, and does she so does she read it uh, she reads it yeah so you've got her actually talking her story to you which is absolutely wonderful and uh, from the from the beginning of it you you feel that warmth coming through of the kind of person that she is um, like uh, as Bernice said for me, the hero of the whole thing was the mother. What a mother she had. And from the very beginning to right through to the White House, she was beside her all the time. And I think, like, we have to rephrase that thing behind every great woman. There's a great mother, you know, because... And I'm um, looking at mother and daughter here across <laughs> the table. OK. No, but I, I just felt that that woman was solid as a rock. You know what I mean? She provided money. And she did, as Bernice said, helped her in school. And then she had an aunt as well. There's a very poignant piece where um, Michelle has is, is learned to play the piano, but at home, the piano at home, has a broken key at the, for the one that you start with. Um, and when she had to perform on a concert hall, she went out onto the stage. Of course, this beautiful grand piano, and she didn't know which key to start with. And her aunt very kindly just got up and 
when she, the kid, she was that's off. that's her Aunt Robin, is that her name? Yeah. She's kind of a bit eccentric in a way. Yes. And she talks about hearing her teach students through the, the thing, yeah. The so that was wonderful. But the other thing about her in those early years is that she wanted to, to succeed. She always wanted to be good at everything. But apart from the, 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 that, as, as Bernice says, the early part is very interesting and heartwarming and everything. But I'm just amazed at the quality of the actual writing. Did she write it, by the way? Well, she did. She yes. did, okay. a, a, as far as I know. Now, I haven't had a personal one well, on you not, Michelle, but oh, I get okay. the impression that Michelle did write it. There's no ghost writer. I've spoken to the publishers. I haven't heard that mentioned. Mm. Yeah. Usually so you would. It, here. Yeah. It, it, I think it she is. took this as a big project and she went away and wrote it. Yes, wrote and it. of course, he, her husband, that would be Barack. That would he, be Barack Obama. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he had uh, always uh, done journaling, you see, as they yeah. do in America a lot. Everybody does journaling. Mm. But he, she he, uh, she took that from him. So she must have been doing this then, since she met him anyway, journaling along. But um, so that's it was a bit amazing that it was so well written because this fellow Christopher Hitchens, and she says that about in the book, how he went back and looked at her uh, thesis that she wrote at the age of 21 and slated it, not only for a contract. It's a great thing for Christopher Hitchens to do, isn't yeah. it? It's like, what a, what a stupid He slated thing. it, and not only did he slate the content, he slated the actual writing of it, but then he's also criticised Barack's writing too, so... I mean, you must have a thing about them. She said in the South Bank Centre that she sees herself as the storyteller and Barack as the kind of the writer in the mm. family. But I think mm. it goes back to what you said, Bernice, about it being a page turner. Mm. She absolutely knows how to hold an audience, how to tell a good story. And there's so many great stories in it. Yes, she is a storyteller and it is really good. And I did, like Bernice, enjoy that bit first, bit more than I did some of the other stuff. But it's all, it's all great. And the thing for me that came out was... Her as a person, she has the common touch. I mean, she's not an intellectual. She likes, you know, pop music and Stevie Wonder and whatever. And she doesn't mind making a show of herself going on that James Corden thing. Mm. You know, uh, she she's in touch with the ordinary people. She's an ordinary person. As she actually says that, I'm ordinary, I think. That's one of the things she says, I'm an ordinary person trying to be myself. Were you a bit sceptical then? Were you thinking, I don't yeah, know Yeah, obviously, you... this is a bit of a pain, you know, yeah. reading about Michelle, what do I care? You know, but anyway... <laughs> turns I... out you do, because it's no, a it story I do care, yeah. who comes from, you know, just hard work, passion, and the parenting aspect is really mm. amazing. Mm. Because, like you say, she was brought up the same as the brother. He used to box. She was taught to box at the same time. There was mm. real equality in that house, it sounds like. Mm. So, Neve, are you as enthusiastic as everybody else has been so far? Yeah, I am. Um, I really enjoyed this book. I think um, as a young person as well, I found it really easy to relate. Not even easy, but um, kind of reassuring in a way. It's interesting that it's called Becoming because, you know, I'm just as naive probably as she was thinking that, well, I have to have my career sorted at a certain age and you have kids at this age and your husband comes home after work and you watch Netflix together or whatever, which is not how it panned out for Michelle, even though she really craved that. Um, and I think she deals with, she deals especially with the marriage in a very interesting way. And she talks really honestly about the counselling that they had and how she had to come to terms with a husband who was completely not present in any sense really I mean he wasn't there to put the kids to bed at night she missed weeks on end um, as you would as president of America or someone who's running to be to to be that and I thought it was really interesting how like any young ambitious woman and young ambitious mother would feel resentful towards that and feel like he should be around more and why don't I get to go out to the gym like he does and he's off playing basketball and should be with the kids she used that in a really positive way and I think that their counselling um, definitely showed her the light there and 
give her this sense, she was able to give herself the sense of power over her own life and happiness that didn't relate to him, but yet the two could coexist together. Um, I thought that was really interesting. Aside from that, I think it's a very approachable kind of feminist text in a way, um, in a sense that she doesn't pit men against women in the in the book at all. It's not um, she doesn't root all the problems as being male, and that I think makes it very approachable to look at those issues like I think that she does it really cleverly and really smartly and in a way that's not off-putting And that's kind of progressive isn't it because we've been kind of used to hearing certain messages especially in, in that sort of feminist uh, way but actually she said to those girls it's hard to keep going back to them but I do feel very privileged that I got to see mm. I got to listen to her for like probably three hours and see her sort of in, as she is and she said that about um, you know that men often think that strong women and strong girls are made by strong women and girls but that that how much her father and brother mm-hmm. had such a role in, in creating the strong woman that she turned out to be so that men and boy, boys shouldn't think that they don't have any part to play in that that they can ground young women too that they can inspire them and all that kind of thing so I think those elements of the book are really important and they do sort of shift our thinking because it often can be that kind of binary mm-hmm. men versus women thinking Well while I think gender isn't the, the, the big focus race absolutely is oh, yeah. absolutely, that yes. is her consciousness throughout that she is a black woman forging the way and she it's quite interesting to me that she always describes the people she meet as this black woman or this light-skinned black woman or whatever you know we should say here we are all three white women sitting around this table discussing it uh. yeah but but she does say that like I you know I I wouldn't necessarily say Roisin a white woman you know but she would say my friend a light-skinned black woman because that is the consciousness yeah. Yeah. yeah now and I was thinking about, like, she's obviously so extraordinarily driven. And you read a book by an extraordinarily driven American woman, uh, and it just puts you, like like Cheryl Sam, the, the rise will lean in, you know, a, a book that would tip you over. <laughs> oh, I'd love over. to have done this in our the book club, because I might have. Oh, <laughs> anyway, you know, with all that, you know, thrusting going forward, and uh, which is so off-putting and lean in, she has it too. But by the time you you sort of that's all that mention, you know, there's one bit, and I suppose you know, I I imagined myself when my two children were small, just as her two children were small. So she, and I think this says a huge amount about her and how she relates to her mother and other people. Um, so she realised two children, small age, maybe six and three or something. She wasn't getting any exercise. The husband, he was away, he's campaigning. He was never there. So what she hit upon, she was working. She was working full time because, because incidentally, and I thought this was interesting, She, when the, the girls were small, she, very small, she went down to part time and she discovered that's a mugs game because she was, in fact, working full time hours, but squeezing them into yeah. part time, you know, what being paid part time. So, you know, every woman can relate to that who mm. has ever gone part time. Um, but uh, so she realized, you know, she, she she was working full time at that point. She couldn't get exercise. So what she did was she organized for her mother to come home, to come over to the house at 4.45 a.m. in the morning otherwise known as in the middle of the night, if you ask me. <laughs> and to get, so mom came over, came in, minded the two, was in the house for the two girls while she met her girlfriend for 5 a.m. gym sessions. So she was back at her own home before 6 a.m., before the girls woke up and get on with the day. Now, 
that is not something I can relate to. Yeah, that was a, I didn't like that bit. <laughs> you know, but you know, so I bet that that is in Cheryl Sandberg's work, a version of it, where I would have felt, oh, for God's sake, in that. And I did feel, oh, for God's sake, in this. But at the same time, because she, it was in the context, she explained it in the context of her, her marriage, she wasn't there, her own career, her own bringing up the girls. Yeah. I think it comes back to what you said about asking for help. I think it's the same kind of thing. Like, what, this isn't working. So rather than just sit and simmer and resent everything, how do I find a solution? And she did a similar thing when she realised that one of her girls was maybe slightly overweight or something and she went and got this chef to come and cook them healthy meals. And again, she sort of says herself, I know that sounds really mad, mm. but this is what I needed to do to get back on track because we had gone down this road of like takeaways and eating in diners. And, you know, so she has a very good knack of making things sound that could be very elitist and yes. make you think, oh, well, if someone else <laughs> yeah. said them that you'd be really judgmental. Exactly. But, but by she, the time you get to them, yeah. you like her so much. I know, it's, it's, it's interesting. I was, I was in tears when she was write, writing about the little girl Pendleton who got shot. I, I mean, it was so poignant the way she wrote about it and the whole thing of guns in America came across and, and the whole thing where those... Um, people in the church got Reverend Pinkney, I think his name was Charleston and uh, yeah, they were all shot down in the church and her reaction to that and, and Barack's as well and that was very hard for her And but she, the way she wrote about it was very, very moving mm. and also the thing was I think she, at the, at the end of the book she says emphatically she is never going into politics or don't yeah. expect her to and she's really disillusioned with the whole thing mm. as I would be, you know it's actually, it's an indictment of the whole system that goes on in America regarding the way the politics go on they don't care about the people it's their person you know whether they get on in their careers rather than anything else Uh, I think that came across I mean her time in the White House she used very well and it was very interesting what she tried to do but I, I, she's disillusioned. Well, if she ever was, mm. she never. I don't think she ever liked politics. Oh, no, she never she? did. Like she must have been really annoying. She was very funny in, in the London last week, talking about how she thought that uh, she'd let Barack go off and run for president of America because that's never going to happen. <laughs> it was really one of those. If your husband turns up and goes, oh, "I'm going to go and do the Tour de France or something," oh yeah, yeah, go on there. And then it was like, oh god, oh god, it's going to happen. Like she really, genuinely seems to not have have believed that he could do it. You know. I wonder how she's feeling now. I mean, the, the book opens with her having left the White House and having making herself a cup of coffee for the first time that she had to do that in a long time. <laughs> by herself. Uh, yeah, yeah, but I wonder right now, she's obviously now doing this book tour and everything, so she hasn't come down to earth quite yet, has yeah. she? No, I wouldn't say so. I feel she, it's a transition and it's an adjustment. Um, she sold two million copies. Uh, yeah, over, I think it's nearly three million now. Yeah, I think it's three million. It's the fastest selling book this year um, See, why? in the world. why? Why is yeah. it? Well, I yeah, think you, you, I think you know the common touch thing that you said, Mum. Yeah. I think that she's managed that, that she has this. People look at her, and even though her life now is so unrelatable mm. in so many mm. ways, there's a sense of. You know, when she was talking to those girls in the school as well, like you actually do look at her and think, OK, I mean, we're not going to be first lady of America. That's not going to happen. But she gives people that sense of that things are achievable. And also that life is not this kind of it's a, it's a very transition. You know, her journey was so uh, all around the houses. I mean, she went to Princeton to be a lawyer and she went to Harvard to do that, realizes that she hates law. Mm. You know, she just has a, a yeah. career trajectory that's very, I think, relatable to in some ways and some mm. ways not. Yeah, well, as Neve said, she started out one thing and then 
She mm. could, and that, that is an inspiration for other people because, you know, look at me. I started off, what, short-end times and now I'm a published author, yeah. Roshi, you know what I mean? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> um, Niamh, can Took we me talk 79 bit, years, though. Oh, no, this is like a, maybe more of a trivia thing, but I really liked how she spoke about her relationship with, with Barack Obama. Like, I found myself quite, being quite prurient about how they met, like how long it took for him to kind of... The ice cream convince, sitting on the step. Yeah, the I love that bit. So there's a lovely scene where she's sitting on, they're sitting on the step and literally it's when she absolutely just realises, okay, this guy is pretty him. amazing. But she did put up a lot of resistance to it. What did you make of that and how she kind of she did that and it wasn't somehow managed not to be sickening or cloying or annoying well all of us looked at them and just yeah. with awe though anyways didn't we because they yeah. were so cute and like really genuine and what's lovely about this book is that it shows the backstory to that you know now that there's nothing fake about how they come across and they've worked really hard on it I think mm. and they have both had to work really hard on st- like staying normal with each other I thought that the juxtaposition of the, their both of their childhoods was really interesting and how um we can relate to Michelle because she's actually quite ordinary and um, her parents are really hardworking. They don't have a, an incredible background. It, um, we could see all of our own families in them and it showed how um, hard work where it can get you. Whereas with Barack, he's just this incredibly talented young man. Like it's, I actually found seeing him through her eyes to be really interesting as well. Like this young fella who just like breezes in, even when he starts as an intern in the... Um, and that's how she meets that's how Michelle meets him is that he starts as her kind of intern um, in the law company and they're all blown away the senior directors are blown away by him and his notions and he spends his whole days reading and smoking cigarettes and just like drawing in rooms of people and you yeah. can see how Already. he achieved what he did because that's how he was as a child and he didn't have that same grounding that she had in that um, his father was never around and his mam also kind of wasn't around a lot of the time. She was this free-spirited, independent woman who did her own thing and had children. Um, Very different upbringing to how Michelle was reared and also not what Michelle wanted as to be as a mother um, with all respect to his mother. So, yeah, I thought um, it was really interesting to see how two very different people could merge their lives in a way that they could coexist without ever really sharing the same goals in life or the same... Um, they had different values, I think. Um, so I, I, I thought that was really interesting to to see play out. And I think we should say as well, going back to the, the race issue, I mean, I met some young black women in London last week who just... We can't overstate how important her, how how important she is as a role model to them, to have someone like her in on the world stage, being given all this airtime, and we're we're laughing about the Ellen and all that kind of thing, but. The more of that, the sure. more they're amazed and just inspired by her in their own lives, even though doing very different things. And it's just a representation that is very unusual. Mm. And that they said that to me again and again, just the fact that this doesn't happen. We don't have yes. black women out there as role models who we can hold up and say, yes, this is this is who this represents us. You know, it isn't mean? kind of a pop star. Well, or that, that's a, exactly a what they were saying. With no, no disrespect to yes, Beyonce no, no, or course. to any of yes. these other great people. She but just studied really she's hard. She's quite unusual. Yes. Yeah, she yeah. studied really hard. She yeah. went to college. She did that mm. kind of thing. And yeah. I think they really appreciate that. So that's the kind of uh, the, the black women out there maybe who. But I think she just it sort of transcends race in some way, because I think anybody who's well, women as well, you know, who struggled, who felt like they've been sidelined. I mean, that uh, 
that high school counsellor she had who told her she wasn't Princeton material. Mm. Like I had a I had a little teachable moment in my own house where my um daughter was uh, she wants to go for to learn how to play an instrument, clarinet, but um the teacher had been telling her her hands weren't big enough for it oh. and you know, we kinda decided that um that maybe she'd go and do it anyway because by the time she does the audition for it that her fingers would be bigger so mm. we'll see and in fact the teacher said to her well you know I think that's ridiculous that oh. you're going for that oh. and and it was really interesting because my daughter was just well able and said well yeah. you know I don't think so and I you know I'm going to go for it and if I don't get it that's fine but at least I've tried yeah. and yeah. then I was telling her about Michelle Obama and mm. I think it's that kind of thing it's like she had such tunnel vision about herself and from such an early mm. age I can achieve I can do this even though if you looked at it on paper all the odds were totally stacked against her. But her father was like that as well. Mm. I think that's where that blind optimism comes from or this kind of carry on regardless of anything. Um, He had, it was MS, I think. Yes. Um, And up until his last days, like there's a very emotional scene where he's trying to get out to his car to go to work and his feet are so badly swollen that he has to stop and sit down on the concrete step before he goes into the garage which she'd never seen him do before um, and she witnesses this really private moment and she doesn't want to interrupt it embarrass him by going out to help him and she watches as he gets up and goes again and goes to work even though he's clearly such an incredibly sick man yeah. but that's just what he does and I think that persistence has definitely shone through in what he has in a yeah. daughter and I mean you Again, her, her, when he died and the mm. grief, and she still feels it because she she choked up talking about it last week, and she said, "There's not a day goes by where she doesn't wonder, like, what does he think of what she's doing? Would he be proud of her?" And that bond was obviously so strong uh, between it, the. It family. is interesting um, about the role of the first lady, though, isn't it? I mean, because in a sense, you know, she says herself, she says. Um, this is on page 372. She's already in the White House at this point. She says, A First Lady's power is a curious thing, as soft and undefined as the role itself. And yet I was learning to harness it. I had no executive authority. I didn't command troops or engage in formal diplomacy. And she goes on to say, so she's fi- trying to figure out what, what to do, what how to, to do, harness yeah. that yeah. soft power. Mm. Um, she's interested about, she's interesting about uh, her clothes, you know, because mm. if you remember that time she was, she was there, uh, because the whole thing was, wasn't it, oh, she dressed from the high street. You know, she dressed from, yeah. So she's saying, um, I had influence in the form of being something of a curiosity, a black first lady, a professional woman, a mother of young kids. People seemed to want to dial into my clothes, my shoes and my hairstyles, but they also had to see me in the context of where I was and why. I was learning how to connect my message to my image, and in this way I could direct the American gaze. Very interesting and really smart, mm. isn't it? Optics. And, and about optics, optics and, stuff. Yeah. and also she was called an ape in heels oh, at one point, you know. And she had all that racism and misogyny mm. double, so you know, sure. leveled against her. Um, Do wonder what Melania thinks reading it. She also has the same soft power, and in a sense, she could channel it in a different way because she's an immigrant to America. You know what I mean? Just you had all these things that she could. But that is not happening. She's with your mom. I know. know. It's interesting. She mentions how Melania sounded shell shocked on the phone. Yeah. Just after the um, election rang in. Yeah. Doesn't sound like maybe she's hinting that Melania wasn't in any ways prepared. Well, I don't think she was. Yeah. She didn't move into the White House, did she? Straight away, mm, no. she stayed. And the other thing, talk about harnessing that power. I do think one of the things she did uh, 
which you could see as soft, but really was quite revolutionary, taking all that land at the back of the White House yeah. and turning it into an allotment. Mm. And and by doing that, showing people that, you know, we don't have yeah. to have all this mass-produced horrible food. And that, if you can remember, you know, I didn't, she didn't mention it in the book. Oh, she also doesn't mention visiting Ireland. Just well, I was just going to say, saying, do we feel snubbed? Well, I feel slightly... I feel like she just I, didn't have I a good time, feel, even though she met Bono in, okay, in Dorky and everything. I wonder, is he snubbed? I wonder. Oh. Well, though, I, I did see her on yet another American chat show and she was saying um, that so much of it actually is a bit of a blur because she, she said to her assistant recently, you know what, I'd love to visit Prague. I know. And her assistant <laughs> said, you, you've been to... No, I haven't. <laughs> yes, you have. You know? And her assistant's this really smart person who remembers everything from what, what she was wearing. So she actually <laughs> manages to tell her, no, you were wearing this dress and those shoes. Do you remember? And then she was like, oh my God, yeah. I have been so the Prague. Barack Obama Plaza or wherever they were taken to did not resonate. <laughs> no. Didn't make it into the book. Or the, the Oris, not Michael no, D. No. Really. The way she was able to take her family as well everywhere yeah. she went. That was a really nice touch, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, and the fact that like, things like going to South Africa and meeting Nelson Mandela and she just really appreciated I think every moment but it was also uh, you know you were also very trapped you get that sense too I mean she can't do anything when she wanted to go out and look at the lights on the The LGBT the municipal marriage had happened and there was a big display Mm. of lights on the White House and she couldn't see it because you're not allowed outside your bloody door we're we're aware of that from the very start because she talks about how wonderful it is to be able to open a window Yes, and you just Mm. think like imagine how trapped you would feel not to be able to fling open a window it's an interesting sort of paragraph here that is all that really cuts to I think her her philosophy of self-confidence. For me it revived an old internal call and response, one that tracked all the way back to high school when I'd shown up at Whitney Young and found myself suddenly gripped by doubt. Confidence I'd learned then sometimes needs to be called from within. I've repeated the same words to myself many times now through many climbs. Am I good enough? Yes, I am. Yeah. It's imposter syndrome. The imposter syndrome mm. is real for Michelle Obama. I think she's kind of got a handle on it now, mm. but um, definitely all the way through because she talks about going to Princeton and even just the words, the vocabulary around these elite schools, she didn't know half the time like what a precept was, all these different words mm. that were used and, and nobody teaches you and you're coming in and, and everyone, and she's very, she's very good on that idea of, um, you know, you talk about a, a fir- positive affirmative mm. action mm-hmm. and she talks about that affirmative action that's going on all the time towards these families and, and children who whose fathers and grandfathers went to these schools and yeah. therefore they just get that to is go in. And she remembers yes. looking around yeah. and thinking, these people are not half as smart as I am. Mm. And they've managed to get here. And she's thinking of all the other people who would never manage to get into mm. those schools. So she's very good on that. Like that outsider perspective, you know, even though she's inside such a house like the White House. Sure. I think when she's telling us about it, we get that sense of here's someone who's seeing mm. it through our eyes a bit, who mm. isn't used to the rarefied. And she says, you know, at 54... I'm still a work in progress. That's one of her things. It's just really, really good that there's always more to be had. And she's uh, she's very good at the fact that she doesn't say too much about Trump, just a little bit. Mm. She was really annoyed with him because of the fact when he was talked about Barack not being American and how the then there was... Terrorism and everything. Yes, and then there was a, somebody shot at the White House and she said that they were putting her children, you know, that... And his that was a direct result of what Trump had said. So she she's done, she hasn't said doesn't say too much, but what, what she does say is very pointed. Yeah. And the whole feeling that that she got, she could not believe that so many American women 
had voted for him. That was a really yeah. hard thing for her mm, to take. Yeah. And, and just mentioning the children there, because there's a couple of things. I mean, I, I think she's really proud. I think they're both really proud of how they managed to, you know, keep the keep the children's sanity through this incredible eight years of mm. madness. But then she's also quite honest about mistakes they made, because there's one part where uh, I think she, he's going for the campaign the first time around, and they do this interview, and they must have been quite small, maybe six and eight or something like that, and they do this interview in front of a TV cameras and nothing bad happened in it but after it went out she had this horrible feeling that she had exposed them in a way that was not right mm. to do because it wasn't their choice mm. and suddenly they were quite now... exposed in the book in a sense though I mean she mm. d- they are very present in the book aren't they yeah mm. uh, I don't I think that must have been discussed with them yeah. I imagine um, and that's but it is that I mean I you know that's such a big word honesty but mm. you get that sense like what you said at the beginning will you really learn anything or will it be a really uh, true account it feels very honest and authentic does, yeah that word authentic I think yeah. that's what she's captured people feel like she's really herself so in all of the bajillions of publicity that's been going on around this book I, I still don't know what she's going to do now mm. you know well, which is the obvious the, question isn't did it she say, did she let you know that well, yeah, as I say it wasn't one on one but I divined you know through my little uh, just looking into her eyes no I mean I think the thing with the, the presidential library that mm. every president does so that's yeah. in Chicago that's a big big deal and she wants to use that to create uh, they want to use it to create a leadership sort of school so a mentorship thing mm. um, but I mean I think they'll be quite busy just with the speeches yeah. and the kind of public because now she doesn't it's not soft power she has now it's hard power yeah. you know like she really kind of does um, so and she's not going to run apparently no. I mean it'd be no, so interesting if she did that. I mean you could you'd have to say she'd have a, a very good shot at being the first woman president mm. if she did decide wouldn't mm. you what do you she think, just Niamh? doesn't seem to have any interest in politics, though. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's the way she likes to see change. I think she was always kind of a bystander to Barack's ambitions and respected them, but at the same time didn't want them. Yeah. I think she's made that especially clear in this book, actually, yeah. more than anything. Mm-hmm. I'd be more convinced now that she wouldn't. Well, it feels to me, uh, whatever she, I don't know what she's going to do next, but it seems her mission is very much around inspiring young women and girls and making sure that they have that confidence and also education. She keeps coming back to Big it. Time. and She's really good uh, mates, it seems, with Malala. And Malala came to the White House. And that whole thing of, there's, you know, whatever about Ivy League colleges, there's places in the world where kids don't even get to go to primary school or get to go to school at all because they're girls. And I think that's a really big issue for her. And she wants to work on that. Um, I get the sense. But I don't know what form that will take yeah. but she can yeah. do anything really the other, can't she? the other message that she gets across is that she wants us to be inclusive inclusive she she uses that sentence let's welcome one another in do you know it's, it's a lovely idea that you know let's Listen to embrace each other everybody. Each other. Yes, yeah. embrace everybody. You know, it's a, it's a, and it's so opposite to what, yeah, <laughs> to what's there exactly, now. Exactly, exactly. But it's, it's an uplifting book. You see, mm. when you read it and you think this, this girl, her story. She was a girl. She's a woman now. She has learned so much. She'd be the first to tell you how much she's learned. Yeah. all during her life, and she's giving back. Yes. This is it. She's giving back. And let other, you know, sharing herself and all that she knows and done. And, and she says it all in the book. And I, I do think, I know it is, as you say, Roshan Hackney to say something's honest. Yeah. But you do get that. Wow. I mean, especially I li- had the privilege of listening to it. 
and you hear her voice yeah. saying all those things that are in that book. It, it's a very uplifting experience. I mean, to, go, going back to the mentorship thing, Bernice, like she, she talks about how she started this mentorship program with the White House, which didn't exist before, and and she really wanted to show people that even the president, because he had his, he was a mentor to. He, there was a program, and he had to have somebody. The chief of staff did. Everyone from the, the butler cook. to the housekeeper, they all had interns, and she sees this as such an important thing because it's that giving back giving thing. Back. Well, she yeah. said to those kids in London last week as well. She said, like, you're 15, say you're 15, and you don't understand that a 10 or 11 year old looking at you thinks you are the coolest thing. That is so true. And that you can be a mentor at 15. You don't have to wait till you're older. There's always someone behind looking up, looking for help, looking for guidance. I find that very moving because I think we have... We don't give kids of mentorship here. No, I don't. And I mean, it's personally, it's something that I um, have always, I really related to everything she's saying about that because as someone who didn't get a degree and who didn't go into journalism sort of the traditional way, the way I got into it was by people taking an interest and seeing something in me and then my me sort of really seizing that opportunity. And I do, I like to think I do that for other people too. And it's because when it's been done for you, it's very hard not to do it back because you see the power of that. And that's where I think she's totally coming from from like she would she would say she wouldn't be anywhere with the success that she has now without all of those people loads and loads of people who held her up mm-hmm. and taught her things and so that's yeah for me personally I find that great to hear and it's a great message because mm-hmm. it's yes. not something yes. like you know say Sheryl Sandberg or other corporate people talk about yes, it yes they do absolutely but I just feel the sense is in a very real way because her parents were her first mentors you know and everything from then she, she, she gleaned so much mm-hmm. from so many people and then she gave it back very early and, and is mm. continuing to give it back you know mm. do you, what do you think of the, the mentor thing Neve, as somebody uh, um, Half uh, earlier <laughs> in their career than the rest of us yeah I, well I think it should happen more in every workplace it doesn't happen enough but I, what I got from her though is that you if it's it's not always just given to you either it's quite lucky to come across it I think you have to chase it and yeah. she Chased fought it. and chased it yeah. all of the time at mm. every stage in her career she was just dying to gleam information from mm. other people and, and straightforwardly contacting mm. people yeah. saying I'd yeah. like to do this yeah. how, how can I do that and that's really interesting mm. especially when you're not an insider to something mm. but she was never an insider to any of this she wasn't born into politics yeah. she wasn't born into she, I don't think she was like divinely inspired the way mm. Barack was no, either or focused not. she wanted people to tell her practically how do I do this mm. and I, that like that was really that was really interesting that you felt empowered in that, and that's what a lot of the, this book is is that it's her empowering herself. She's not waiting for other people to hand her anything. Anything. She's going out and chasing it herself, and she's saying, "Look, if you go and look for it, it's there. Mm-hmm. People are willing to help." Um, I mean, I really do feel after reading this book that you kind of, if she walked in here now and we started talking to her, there'd be very few surprises about her demeanour, about what she'd say, about who she is. And I think that's a testament to how much of herself and she hasn't tried to kind of... uh, put a version of herself like mm. it's all there you know her doubt her self-doubt her kind of insecurities the things she feels very confident about her relationship difficulties the fact that she struggled to conceive mm. children she had to get you know um, IVF mm. treatment as well which was kind of a big mm. surprise when I heard yeah. that in, in the big publicity I wonder um, why you know. they didn't say that when she was in the White House would that not have been more helpful yeah maybe maybe it was but, but I suppose but very it, private it, it, and very mm-hmm. difficult and one thing uh a slight negative thing I probably we probably should come up with some mm-hmm. you know. yeah no I'm trying very hard no. <laughs> the thing is would, would would you say that she um, tells you oh look I did this and then I did that and then I did the other thing did yeah. did that come across a bit too boasty like 
Yeah, a little bit in the White House, all the things that she was doing. I don't know. You know I, I think it comes across with the bit that Bernice is saying about trying to figure out what that power is. And then yes. she's saying, this is how I navigated. I, I grew this garden. I got people moving. I did this. This is within my limited scope. Here's what I could do. Mm. And actually, the White House stuff, is, is, is it a third of the book? Mm. It's yes. not you as know, much as you'd think. It's not really yeah. a lot. I mean, no. you kind of get to the end of the White House quite quickly and you're yeah, like, you do. Oh, that's, that's right. over now. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I think she more lists them. I don't think she's too grandiose about it. I mean, I, she, didn't, she didn't make me feel but like she's Anna. Not, you're, she's you're not shy. Headed. Yeah, but she's not she's shy confident. about uh, no, uh, achievements. She, she might not be critical enough of the role of the first lady because mm. by the sheer pages numbers it's given, it's clearly I don't think it was as formative or as important to her. No, not no, important in a sense that she didn't appreciate it, but in a sense that it didn't form her. Mm. <coughs> Excuse me. The way <laughs> the way her years in school and college mm. and working life, our mm. early parenthood did. And maybe I think that's, that's kind of a strategic thing as well, because in a sense, we uh, I don't most first ladies write a book now, you know, and mm-hmm. everybody when they leave. So maybe the publisher said, you know what, you need to bang on about the security. You need to bang yeah. on about every yeah. detail in the White House for days and days. Even the title days. becoming like it, it is it is a self, a journey. It's a whatever. I mean, you wouldn't quite call, you wouldn't call it self-help. You wouldn't do that. But there's a kind of a like there are lessons to be learned. It's very, you know, there are pages that I turned down and went, oh, God, that is really good advice or that's really interesting, you know. But it must have been lovely, though, to, to walk into that White House and get your every. <laughs> I love the bit oh, where like Barack, Barack the- says to her, you know, I'm and I really tidy now because all his gym <laughs> hair is all folded up. <laughs> Up and millions of pairs of grey, the same grey trousers oh, and all those clothes. Yeah, so wasn't it fascinating? The sort of the, the sort of minute. She does talk quite a lot about money. Money, uh, money features a lot. Mm, actually, yeah. about you know when he decided to you know didn't take a corporate job. Well, what would that mm. mean? The moving house. So there's a lot about the normal stuff. She's yeah. all about money though, and her parents are yeah. as well. Uh, but yeah, she's driving home from picking her mother up from the plane and she says she's fed up with her career as this really high class lawyer and the mother says to her you know the job comes first the happiness comes after Yeah, I've <laughs> earn your money first yeah. and then go off dithering at these charity yeah. bits and pieces or whatever you want yeah. to do which is really interesting advice. she's really practical yeah and very yeah I think much more I like capitalist minded I really well, well did she, she, Marion is her name didn't you love the idea her. that when mm. she, so she eventually she eventually got her mum to actually move into the White House <laughs> she was quite reluctant she moved in but she because she was never really photographed or anything, she could move around anonymously. Yeah. She could go out and do her shopping and meet her pals for coffee. Exactly. And, and, and she was very things. independent. Like, she had her own apartment. Mm. And it was, it was that thing of sometimes she'd come down for dinner or she yes. mostly wouldn't. She wouldn't eat with them. <laughs> and she very much kept her own yeah. life. Kind of love that mm. idea. I'd love to read her book. Yeah, yeah. I, I'd love her. But I also thought it was a, a, a good, a good the way that uh, Michelle was saying about when the children get getting older and how they were going to go that she hadn't got them anymore and she was a devoted mother obviously all the way through and it what comes to her as a bit of a blow that they're mm. moving on and we all have felt that mm. you know mm. because at one I time know, you seemed very happy <laughs> to get rid of us if I remember rightly not being funny but like it was like after you see, Michelle wouldn't she go children. Michelle would not say that to her mother just <laughs> saying we only had two right? you, heard, you didn't yeah, learn enough there in London last week Michelle and I are very different people Bernice I don't know if you've noticed that very different. I, I'd like to be more like Michelle, but hopefully I'm becoming more like Michelle by reading this book. So, bottom line, go around the table. Would you buy this for anyone for Christmas? 
who would you buy it for? Well, I was just thinking that I have my copy here. It's finished. Um, I'll be passing it on to my next week 87-year-old mother and also to my 18-year-old daughter. Very good. Well, that yeah. says so it So I think that says it, yeah. Mm. Okay, mother, what would you do? Who would I you give the book to? I haven't got the book. I already heard it. So yeah, I but if you had a few copies to give, <laughs> who would you be giving them to? Oh, I'd give them to any... Any young person, any, you know, 80, girl going into college now, you know. And yeah, actually, that's a good point. Yeah. It's a good present for someone starting college. Starting or, college, yeah. Okay. And Eve, who would you give it to? And would you be telling your friends about it? Yeah, I already have. Um, yeah. Um, it'd be interesting to give it to some men my age who are a bit disillusioned with maybe mm, the way they perceive feminism to be um, I think it's interesting from that perspective well, that's, a, that's a very good testament So, and the thing is that all ages and hopefully men and women and but I think young people particularly and it's just very accessible she's a great yes. way with her you don't in a, there's no real I mean you said the, the White House bits flagged a little bit but yeah that, that's a fair criticism but I think it rattles along nicely oh, yeah, it, 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 she doesn't go on too long about anything really this, I love the way she brings in all about the, the Bad things about America, and she she says it more than once. America is not simple, mm. you know, which is such a true thing because there's so many. And and I do like her bits with the Queen, so it's worth reading for those. Oh, she, she has <laughs> so some not good. with Michael D. Higgins. Just saying, no, just not with Michael again. D. Higgins. My friend okay. the Queen. But she has yeah. good crack with the Queen, yeah. and she really does like the bits I read about the Queen from Michelle Obama's uh, eyes that I've never heard Did before. You? Yeah, she really humanizes yeah. her in the thing, yeah. and, and 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 the Queen's approach to protocol, just telling her, "Oh, don't worry, get in, <laughs> don't worry about all that rubbish." And you can just see Michelle and, going, and "Oh my god." Barack could learn a lot from her because <laughs> yeah. and when they're in the lineup, the people are lined up to shake hands. That the Queen can do it politely and quickly move, move along. <laughs> Barack, Barack oh, wants yeah. to talk to everybody, and they, and it's so annoying. Yeah. And then all about Barack's uh, punctuality, how that, oh. that annoys her too. I know it's great. Like it's she, very she human. Does. The whole thing is very yeah. human. Isn't and it? she's a, just a final thing. She has a very pointed remark for Maureen uh, Dowd. You know, for that uh, column that she wrote about because giving out about Michelle saying that Barack leaves his socks around and stuff. Oh, and saying that it emasculated her husband. And that was a really strange thing to say. And so there's a few. The Christopher Hitchens gets it, and uh, yeah. Maureen Dowd. You know, she's and a start, and Trump gets it a bit. But I like the restraint she has around that because yes. you know. You don't yes, need to hear it, and yes. it's too easy, and you can feel it. And we're all reading it, going, "Oh God, that must have been awful." When she gathers her staff into the room, anyway. I hope we haven't spoiled it completely in terms of told everybody everything. <laughs> no, about there's it, lots more. There's lots. There's more. loads more. It's a great book. It's called Becoming Michelle Obama. It's pu- published by uh, Penguin Ra- Random House. And I wonder will she write another one after this success? She'll be under a lot of pressures, I'd say, from the from the uh, publisher to to do another one. But as always, thank you very much, book clubbers Bernice Harrison, Anne Ingle, and Neve Towie for coming in. I'm glad we all liked it. It's a nice way to end our mm. 2018 book club and we'll come back with, we'll decide who's choosing and we'll let people know it's somebody's turn. Did somebody choose this or did we choose no. it? No. But Jennifer told us Jennifer we, told us we were doing it. Jennifer. <laughs> I wasn't a bit pleased. I wasn't a bit pleased. No, exactly. Me too. So, <laughs> hashtag me wrong. too. All right. Well, uh, thank you very much and we'll be back with you in 2019 with another book yet to be disclosed. And that's it for today. Thanks to Roisin and our fellow book clubbers, Bernice, Neve, and Anne. Remember, you can subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and you can always find us on irishtimes.com with lots of other good shows like Worldview and Inside Politics. You can get in touch with us on Twitter and Facebook at IT Women's Podcast or email us on thewomenspodcast at irishtimes.com. The Women's Podcast is produced by Roisin Ingle and Jennifer Ryan with JJ Ryan on sound. I'm Cathy Sheridan and until next time, thanks for listening. 
listening. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 